0: Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. I'm very pleased to welcome Kevin Karenblatt to the podcast. Kevin is a highly experienced software engineer with a passion for applying technology for good, He's a big believer that talented people can leverage technology to create scalable solutions to some of the world's toughest problems. Kevin is the founder of the Fast Forward Accelerator that helps tech nonprofits by investing money, providing training and mentoring, and helping scale them to impact using what he calls a well-established Silicon Valley playbook. So thank you very much, Kevin, for joining me today. It's a real privilege to speak to you and to find out more about the great work you're doing at Fast Forward.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat. I've listened to your podcasts and I'm excited to participate.
0: Well, tell me a little bit about Fast Forward, how you came to set it up and maybe, I guess, a little bit in your background to how you got here today.
1: I joke that I started a startup that helps startups start up. Fast Forward runs an accelerator program and we help tech startups that are leveraging nonprofit business models for impact. So our organizations focus on this new market for technology, social problems like education and healthcare and human rights. So in terms of how we came to be, I guess a little background might be helpful. So I'm a tech entrepreneur and I grew up in Texas and I came out to California to go to Stanford and study engineering. I really like building things and solving problems and then one day I woke up and realized I'd become an ad optimizer. (laughs) Uh, It's it's, uh, not something I was actually interested in, but through a series of steps, that's where I found myself. And then uh, I was lucky and the company I started was acquired and I was given this fresh start. As entrepreneurs do, I set out to find a new problem to solve. And I was hanging out with venture capitalists and going to accelerator demo days, and I'd see so many like really innovative solutions to find out that the entrepreneurs weren't clear on the problem they were solving. I sort of got it, like I'd worked at a company like that, and I, I even started a company like that. Silicon Valley's become great at it, providing us solutions for problems we didn't know we had. So. What about all these other problems—the problems that we do know we have: education, and healthcare, and human rights? You know, I was here in Silicon Valley. I'm seeing the cost of tech plummet so much so that a couple engineers can launch a product and get traction with almost no capital. But then no one's paying attention to this other market—the nonprofit area, which traditionally had been like out of reach of tech solutions because they were cost prohibitive. So I was trying to figure out what had changed. And it turns out that everyone, including people in low-income communities, carry computers, the, you know, these phones in our pockets. So I knew Khan Academy and Wikipedia, Kiva, donors choose. but who else is building tech products as nonprofits? And could I fill more than one hand? So it turns out that there's a problems while there's thousands and thousands of accelerators and angelists and tons of support. If your startup idea is a for-profit, if your startup is a nonprofit, there's nothing. So I started fast forward to fill that void.
0: Yes, somebody talks about um, being somebody, actually a lecturer at Stanford, and he talked about this problem of solutionitis and this uh, mm. amazing range of solutions. But actually, in his view, for real effective social innovation, he talks about the importance of spending a long time understanding a problem. And really-
1: right, and that's a lot of the emphasis behind design thinking as well as to really spend a lot of time with the customer, understand the problem before diving so deeply into a solution.
0: Yes. Now, there has been a proliferation, the whole area of social innovation. There's not-for-profits, for-profits, hybrids, a staggeringly increasing range of of, of business models. Where does not-for-profits fit in, would you say, in this, I guess what you might call this technology for good sector?
1: For us, the why nonprofits is simple. I think it's where the biggest opportunity is. It's fortunately and unfortunately almost complete white space. So there's this like blank canvas for, for us to fill and support in this sector. Until fast forward, there really were no resources, programs, products dedicated to tech nonprofits. And we found that the founders feel isolated with One foot in the nonprofit sector and one foot in the tech world. We start when we meet the entrepreneurs, the first question, we always ask every entrepreneur, why? Why are they taking this nonprofit path where they're subject to all the challenges of a tech startup as well as the challenges of a nonprofit? And the answers will inspire you. They really care about the communities they're trying to serve. Most experience the problem themselves. And they know that as a for profit, the business would have to be run differently. They wouldn't be able to focus on the users where they can have the most impact, but instead on ones with higher margins. So, this focus on the impact margin over profit margin is really only sustainable in the nonprofit structure. It really always comes down to who they're fighting for.
0: Right. That's very interesting. And and do you think that's valid? Do you think that's changing? Do you think is the situation getting worse? I mean, certainly you see so much impact investment and you see a lot of money coming into the sector. You see a lot of uh, uh, you know, seeking profits and so forth. And you also see you know hybrid models where uh, organizations are putting themselves together in different ways with a profit and a for-profit and so forth. Is is that a real, I guess, binary? Is there a binary quality there? Is that your experience that for-profits have degrees of freedom, uh, not-for-profits have degrees of freedom in how they pursue and and are able to focus on the problem that for-profits do not?
1: I do think so. I mean, organizations have a number of different stakeholders, whether that's the customers they're serving, the owners, their suppliers, the employees. And so every incremental dollar is the decision of what to do with that that money? Does it go to support a community, lower the cost of the product, pay employees better, go back to the investor? And those decisions I think can be more complicated in a structure where there are owners that are expecting a return. And that's very different from a nonprofit structure where the benefits accrue to society.
0: Right, right, interesting. And uh, when it comes to to a a not-for-profit that you're talking about, organizationally how are they similar or not to for-profits I sorry I just, interesting to get your perspective on some of the issues and I know you're focusing on the not-for-profits so that would be where, where you see things but I'm just wondering organizationally I speak to social entrepreneurs that choose you know for profit social business model because they feel that it gives them amongst other things some a kind of business structure goals and objectives a way of operating things like that that they feel they couldn't achieve if they were in in nonprofit, or, or certainly in a kind of charity type of environment.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's a misnomer actually. There's almost nothing different about the structure of a for profit versus a nonprofit. The p- thing people think most about is the tax structure one pays taxes and the other doesn't. And then the other is the ownership structure, the cap table. And I think not having that actually opens up a ton of m- more opportunity for nonprofits than for profits. There's actually nothing that prevents a nonprofit from being efficient, having revenues, having customers, having goals, having objectives, all the things that for whatever reason, it seems like people think that nonprofits can't have. I think it really comes down to, as I said before, like what the ultimate goals of the founder are and who they're fighting for. And so if it turns out that the problem you're solving, if the solution you're delivering for a problem if your customer is willing to pay more for it than it costs to deliver that solution, then I think it absolutely makes sense to be a for-profit. But if instead you focused on a problem where the customer is not able to pay or there's no one in the market who's going to pay so much that you're going to deliver extra value that can be shared with investors, and it seems hard. I don't think it doesn't make it a problem. It's not a problem that's not worth solving, but I just don't see how the for-profit structure works. And so I guess like, there's two ways that the growth in social entrepreneurship can go. One is that it distracts from the good work that people are doing in the nonprofit sector, and so you know one of my concerns is that people will take, let's say, like the five percent of grant money that foundations, you know, they give away, let's say, five percent a year. That that money that's traditionally earmarked for nonprofits will find its way into the for-profit sector, leaving these problems which there is no market solution, no resources. That'll, that'll be really unfortunate disservice if that's what happens. The alternative narrative is one in which people realize that everyone is a social entrepreneur and that everyone is an impact investor. Every dollar that an investor puts into the market is going to have an impact. Everyone who starts or run, runs or works at companies is having an impact in the market and in the lives of you know, the customers they serve and the people they touch. So I guess I find this distinction of Social entrepreneurs limiting in some ways. I feel like every entrepreneur should recognize the impact that they're having in the world. Just like consumers do need to with their dollars, and investors should with their dollars as well. What works best for the the nonprofits is like thinking about the whole whole strategy. So let me give a couple of examples. Like one would be Wikipedia. Could there be a for profit Wikipedia? Probably, but if we look at like their whole strategy of the thousands and thousands of people who donate their time and expertise in order to make Wikipedia what it is, I don't know that it would have evolved in the same way if it were a a for-profit and if there were an incentive structure to try to maximize the revenue that comes from the platform in a way to repay investors. It takes them just like a few hours every year to raise the money they need to uh, sustain themselves the sustainability is not a question but like the overall strategy of like how they deliver how they've solved this problem of providing this information for everyone I think is really interesting and unique to the the nonprofit structure
0: yes
1: I would say the same is probably true for someone like a Khan Academy there are for-profit versions of Khan Academy but Sal's vision to provide you know free education for anyone I think enables him to take a unique approach so for example, he has really interesting marketing deals, with these here in the states of people like Bank of America, who have provided him hundreds of millions of dollars worth of co-marketing value that I think as a for-profit, he would not have been able to, to get. And so, you know, there are some disadvantages, obviously, to being a nonprofit. In some ways, the it's harder to get capital in certain markets, but I don't think that being a nonprofit means that you can't have objectives or goals or revenues or sustainability.
0: Fascinating. I'm glad we had an opportunity to talk that through because certainly it's just interesting to, to, to hear side by side, as you say, what the differences are or are not. And as you say, this is a big question clearly, the degree to which big social problems are getting neglected because they don't lend themselves to for-profit models you know, what What is uh, what? What are this, the alternatives? And as you mentioned, you know, there's an increasing use of PRIs with foundations and so forth, which is exactly that, which is more money going to the investment side of things. And there's a lot happening, I guess, in the world of foundations at the moment. And I know I just spoke to the Ford Foundation with their mission-related investments. So there are big movements taking place.
1: Right, it's interesting, right? Like someone like a Ford Foundation who spends so much time and energy, they're so thoughtful and intentional about how they make their grants, which is actually only 5% of their capital, and they completely ignore the impact of the 95% 95, 95 yes. of it, is now waking up to the factor being more intentional about where the 95% yes. of the capital yes. goes as well. I think that's hugely that's transformative.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really big thing and very important and pioneering, and certainly in the scale of it. I guess it also raised another question and something I spoke to Kevin Starr a little bit about as well. And many social problems do not lend themselves. There isn't a surplus or a premium or, or there just it's impossible to conceive of a for-profit model there. And, and you do see many, many social entrepreneurs trying to come up with solutions and for-profit ways of doing things. And he was just talking about the fact that, you know, there is good grant money around, you know, there is grant money around and, and, and you can get that. It, it raises the, the question, I guess, as to the state of the funding environment for nonprofits and to what extent, you know, how to what extent the decision to be maybe a hybrid, which, you know, I guess has got its own kinds of questions as well, driven by the the, the funding environment. What What is the, again, very big topic, I'm sure, but are there one or two gaps that you see in particular that make it extremely difficult, or make it difficult, should we say, for nonprofits to fund themselves as they grow.
1: Well, one of the challenges we see in the tech nonprofit space, in particular, is that people would like to fund organizations that have impact, and it's hard to have impact before these organizations have the product, and it's hard to build a product before they have money, and they can't get money until they have impact. So they're stuck in this loop of figuring out how to start. Certainly, one of the Things that we're trying to address.
0: Spoken to some, some interesting uh, social entrepreneurs. I call them social entrepreneurs, but uh, in in the technology area, and they're talking about the challenge they have raising money for themselves. They're trying to support platforms for uh, non profits and so forth, but they can't attribute the impact that they're having. They're supporting organisations that are supporting other organisations, and extremely difficult to to show the impact they're having. And they've been, you know, struggling to raise capital, certainly, but what you're doing sounds like it's dealing with some of these kinds of questions. What kind of organizations, ideally, are you looking for? What kind of characteristics or criteria would you say they have?
1: When we look at nonprofits to support, at least through our accelerator program, we evaluate the organizations primarily on three things, the founding team, the product vision, and the potential for impact. In terms of the entrepreneurial founding team. We want to see if they have the entrepreneurial personality and mindset. Do they have personal experience with the problem that they're solving? Do they have tech talent? And do they have that unique entrepreneurial tenacity and drive to overcome all the inevitable challenges that they're going to face? Tech nonprofits do everything that's hard in a tech startup and hard in a nonprofit. So to pull it off, the leaders need that steadfast vision and incredible gumption. Second thing we look for is this scalable product vision. So how compelling is their solution to the problem? Is it going to scale to solve the problem? And we look for a tech vision that's a driving force of the organization and not just a auxiliary program. So we tend to support organizations with a vision for change that's matched only by their potential for for scale. And then the third area is this potential for impact. So how big is the problem they're solving and how many lives they impact and how deeply? So we're looking for compelling entrepreneurs who have scalable tech-based solutions to a problem that they understand.
0: What's the lay of the land? You, you, you presumably see uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of technologists with great ideas. What would you say are one or two things that they could do better, that they might help them to get their message across, and, and presumably also in the longer term, build sustainable organizations?
1: It's a good question. It's actually, I think like it's a lot of the things that we work on in the summer. So when we first started uh, the organization, we went out, my co-founder, Shannon, and I went out and interviewed a bunch of tech nonprofits to find out what they thought they needed. And they told us they were looking for two things. The first is cash, they <laughs> really want money and connections to people that have it. So as we discussed a little bit, angel money is sometimes a little hard to find in the space. And so we help provide early stage funding just like a Y Combinator or Techstars does. And just like the other accelerators, we spend the summer preparing them to raise more money so they can scale their impact. Um, we introduce them to potential funders through our mentorship program and a demo day, which is like our program finale where they present their organization to about 500 people in San Francisco and, and Silicon Valley. And then the, the second thing that we provide through the program that they said they wanted was expertise. And so these are things like how to design and launch a product. How, how to you know, do growth hacking, building an effective nonprofit board, building a financial model, how to get more press coverage and raise visibility. So we created this like, series of talks from subject experts and founders who can share their insights and stories with our entrepreneurs, which I think is helpful because it provides the knowledge and the confidence that they need to be, to be successful. And then what's interesting is like there's this third thing that actually people didn't bring up that I think has become critical for this success that you asked about, and that's a sense of community. So entrepreneurship is lonely. Uh, I think tech nonprofit entrepreneurship is even more so. Our entrepreneurs tell us they feel like they don't fit into traditional nonprofit leadership programs because they're building these tech products, and they don't feel like they fit into Y Combinator and other leadership uh, accelerators as nonprofits. You know, we bring them together so they can find their tribe, and that companionship and camaraderie is really valuable to the entrepreneurs as they experience the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. And we think it's a key ingredient for both their determination and and staying power. So, like the accelerator program itself is this thirteen-week startup boot camp that equips the nonprofit founders with each of those those things.
0: Great. It sounds like uh, really useful, particularly, as you mentioned, the this, this question of community. It's a long, hard slog, isn't it? People tend to congregate, I guess, and it's something I've seen from my podcast, you know, the kinds of solutions. So if you're involved in water and sanitation, that's, you know, where you are, or somebody else might be involved in education, and they do tend to, you know, be very deep in their own particular sector and niche. So having a technology like this technology, not uh, not-for-profit kind of focus, clearly very, very useful.
1: They're very hungry for it. I mean, just I uh, was emailing with one of our founders today. Uh, we have been working on expanding our alumni program and joked about renting a house in San Francisco that they can congregate at for a weekend. And one of the, the founders emailed and said he wants to do it. He wants to be in charge of organizing it and just finding a way for everyone to get together. Brilliant. And so there is this, you know, this so much work that we put into creating this, you know, the, the speakers and helping to get more press coverage and funding and building models. And but this community aspect of it, I think, is is incredibly important as well. And something they're very hungry for.
0: I want to touch on the, the landscape again that you mentioned, the investors. But just before that, can you maybe just tell me a little bit of the scope of your operations, how many organizations you've worked with, how that's been unfolding?
1: The accelerator program is limited to about 10 organizations per year. And so far we've graduated 23 tech nonprofits. Those organizations have gone on to raise $28 million in follow-on funding and impacted over 18 million lives. We have also identified 300, over 300, about 325 tech nonprofits in the ecosystem overall. These organizations are listed. We have this like Crunchbase-like comprehensive Tech nonprofit directory that's on our website at ffwd.org, and these organizations can also post on our job board and participate in our online community of support. And we also have an Accelerate Good Global Summit, which builds the tech nonprofit sector.
0: Great! I'd, I'd like uh, to talk about that. That that. that uh conference at some point as well now you mentioned the the 28 million that's been raised how would you characterize the landscape for tech nonprofits looking for investment or put it the other way around investors <laughs> who are looking and willing to support these kind of organizations and maybe within the broader context of this question of concessionary finance and uh, i mean clearly grant is you know grants which are given which are you know uh a very powerful way people are talking about uh, repayable grants, and, and we've t- talked about the general growth in, in, in impact investment. And in a way, you, you raised this point as well. You were talking about, in a sense, that all entrepreneurs or social entrepreneurs are, you know, all entrepreneurship is impact entrepreneurship in a certain sense. At the same time, I guess it's it's it's, it's important to distinguish between. The kind of work that is really dealing with social problems and is, you know, impact first and is really about that, Uh, It just it seems to me sometimes that there's a danger of the term becoming, you know, social entrepreneur can be anybody doing anything, which is, you know, it can be a large, uh, it can be, you know, any which has all kinds of other let's say non-positive uh, side effects or just you know because clearly as you say a, a job in itself this is a social good and you know working in a community and things like that um i'm just, I'm just wondering what your sense is of, of the availability of 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 who's out there that's that's willing to provide capital for the, these kinds of projects uh, on a concessionary basis
1: well, for us at Fast Forward, you know, we partner with a number of large tech companies. So it's everyone from Google, BlackRock, Comcast, NBC Universal, AT&T, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, Zendesk, Twilio, Amazon Web Services. These all provide us capital and connections to their employees in support of tech nonprofits. And I think there's also tremendous support in the foundation community. While not everyone is comfortable embracing technology in the same way as maybe tech companies uh, and their employees are, I think more and more we see that foundations are recognizing when their main mission and desire is impact at scale, that technology can play a role in that. And then we continue to see, see support for um, individuals you know, in the Silicon Valley the early stage investors for companies are called angel uh, investors because of the individuals who can very quickly and easily write checks. They may not be as big as some of the checks from institutional funders, but they're able to be in many cases like the first supporters of someone when they have an idea before they've proven that they're going to be successful and, and have the impact that they want. And we see that that's true in the tech nonprofit sector as well, that there are we even have one of our mentors who has committed that for every angel investment that he makes in a for-profit, that he will donate uh, an equivalent amount uh, in the nonprofit and sector. And so, I think there's tons of opportunity with with individuals who see the value in experimentation and actually view philanthropy in some ways as the ultimate risk capital because it's money that the the angel doesn't expect to get back, there's an opportunity to actually take more risk with that capital and, and fill the void that maybe companies or institutional philanthropists might not fill. That's very interesting.
0: What do these investments look like, Kevin?
1: Uh, they're donations. So in our world, in the, the nonprofit sector, these are these are grants. In some ways, it's very simple. It's not complicated. There's no convertible notes or equity or safe agreements or... Um, nothing repayable. I think that's one of the challenges in the sector. Uh, I've noticed in some of your podcasts, I mean, there are some pretty complicated structures and it's just hard for me to see a world where the, the entrepreneur actually understands yeah. what's happening, at least in the for-profit world, even when there's sophisticated investors. it's it's. I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand the complications of their equity uh, investments, even though it's very common here and everyone work at, works at tech companies. I feel like if you ask most employees, they don't really understand how their equity and, and options in the companies they work at operate. Yeah. And I think that's one of the risks in this, in this uh, social entrepreneurship and impact investing world as well, is that the solutions uh, become so complicated you know, that the, the social entrepreneurs don't understand all the implications of the financing they're, they're taking.
0: Yes, absolutely. It does the, some of the structures that are <laughs> coming out of Silicon Valley, and they are quite quite, quite difficult to get your head around. Uh, that's an interesting point. Yes. Now, you talk on your website about applying a well-established Silicon Valley playbook for nonprofits. What can you maybe just identify a couple of elements? You probably touched on those already, but maybe just in terms of the, that idea that with the Silicon Valley playbook, I...
1: in the Silicon Valley's startup world, most everyone knows about. Y combinator and the accelerator model, but outside of this bubble, it's not well known. So the accelerator model of is one of like early stage uh, investment capital, the training, mentoring, and support that I mentioned, and building a community of like-minded peers. And it's seen something, and it's something that we've seen spread across the startup world. In fact, there are 5,500 accelerators and incubators listed on AngelList now so we we took that same three-pronged approach and applied it to this new market for technology we're the first ones to do it and we hope that someday there'll be 5500 more
0: great now because i I think that it was a village capital or rossberg somebody recently did a uh, survey of incubators do they differ variously did you have to spend a lot of time thinking about what it is your incubator would do i mean are there different models of incubator sounds like your approach is, makes a lot of sense. And was this a, a big question or was it pretty clear straight away what the, the key elements that you need to provide were?
1: Uh, it was a big, big question. I mean, I was certainly new to the, the nonprofit and the tech nonprofit uh, space. And so this this playbook was, I guess, this idea of the early stage investment, some resources, and eventually the, the community aspect, which frankly, I don't know that I appreciated um, when we first started, but it was really those early interviews that we did with the tech nonprofit founders that guided the, the structure of the accelerator. And frankly, it's even changed over the, the few years we've been running it based on the needs of the group. So we've changed both the structure of how often uh, we meet, as well as the kinds of content we provide and the amount of time that and investment we make in things like the, the community building. It's also helped us since the launch of the accelerator Basically, everything else that we do at Fast Forward is for the whole ecosystem, for that sector of the three or 400 tech nonprofits that we've identified. And so the, the summit, this Accelerate Good Summit that we launched this year, is open to everyone in the sector, not just the organizations that come through. Our accelerator, the directory, our crunchbase style listing of all organizations in the sector provides a great tool for the funders who are interested in exploring more... Scalable solutions in a particular issue area, sector that they uh, where they invest or make grants in. So whether that's education or healthcare in Africa, those they're all uh, searchable inside of that that directory. Right. Um, yeah. We have this job board that we've just launched that now has about three or four hundred jobs, volunteer, internship, and board opportunities for people. One of the things that we hear from tech nonprofits that it's it's very hard finding resources, whether that's employees or volunteers or people with expertise that can help. And so we wanted to provide resource for that. But frankly, we also heard the same request from the other side of the marketplace. So we do a lot of work with tech companies. As I mentioned, the first question that a lot of people ask when we go into the tech companies from the employees is like, how do I get started? Uh, And so providing a resource. For that has been um, has been really helpful, and then this last area is the is the community, and so the community that we maintain, you know, there's the the personal relationships that come from participating in the accelerator, but online resources that we maintain is actually open to the entire tech nonprofit community.
0: Brilliant. What's the uh, address for that? How do people find that?
1: It's on our website, and it's and it's a moderated, closed group, and so someone can email us through our website or on the community. A uh, section of programs on our website. Talk about that. The pro- the the community they can request to join. Great.
0: Now, can you talk a little bit, Kevin, about the challenges you have faced yourself? Um, you're, you're supporting the ecosystem, supporting all these nonprofits, doing this great work. What's it been like for you building this organization? As you mentioned, you weren't familiar with the world of nonprofits. How, how has it been for you? And who has been there to support you on your journey?
1: It's been an interesting journey. You know, like when we started, we had a lot of a lot of questions. And so the first was probably, as I mentioned, you know, I was working in venture capital, looking to start probably most likely a for-profit startup. And I had this idea in the back of my mind about an accelerator for, for nonprofits. And as I would talk to people and mention the idea, they'd be like, huh, what else are you working on? (laughs) Which was like a clear (laughs) dismissal of. The, the idea, and I think it took me a while to find this, this tribe, this group of people who were actually interested in this concept of investing in tech organizations when there's no upside. And so one of the real concerns we had when we started was who's going to support these groups. And the, you know one of the reasons why I think we see thousands and thousands of accelerators and incubators now is that, that the for-profit version of the model works and so that playbook that we discussed of taking early stage group, providing early stage capital uh, works because there's equity ownership and mentors and others can participate uh, in some of that upside. And so that's sort of what makes that ecosystem work. Without that equity p- to provide, we weren't sure who was going to support us and these entrepreneurs. And it turns out that that fear was not warranted. There's actually hundreds of people that have helped as mentors donors, board members, volunteers, advisors, uh, and that hasn't been such a big, big issue. I think another area that we weren't sure about is, like, is it going to work at all? Like, how many of these organizations are there? And can we actually be, be helpful? The success stories, we weren't sure if something like a Khan Academy was the rule or the exception. <laughs> and um, we've been pleasantly surprised that we've actually found a good number of tech entrepreneurs with a strong uh, nonprofit vision that we've been able to help. So we had, let's say, Career Village is a good example. They provide crowdsourced career advice for high school students. There are a lot of uh, students here who maybe don't know someone who works in an office or has a professional degree. And so if someone wants to find out what does it take to become a nurse, they can ask on his site and they have professionals who answer the questions and give advice and we've seen them scale from serving half a million students to one and a half million students so tripling in size over about a 12-month period with just three time with three full-time people on staff and so that kind of growth and product scale wouldn't have been possible without the way they've been able to leverage technology.
0: Yes absolutely. How have you been funded Kevin and can you talk about how that's been you mentioned a, uh, a large number of technology uh, big companies that are helping you in various ways. How have you funded Fast Forward, and how has that been?
1: The funding has come from the three, I guess, most traditional uh, sources of nonprofit capital. When we first started, a lot of our funding was from individuals, because as I mentioned, the, that the angel like when something is just really an idea, uh, in many ways, angels are the first supporters uh, at that right, at
0: that right. S- when you say angel Kevin I, I I associate that usually with someone who's looking for a return on their investment it, are there angels who are what well, you're saying essentially private individuals that would provide concessionary finance or, or grant type finance for nonprofits
1: exactly yeah that there are individuals who you know I think like in the in the nonprofit or philanthropy world, a lot of funding is repeat funding. And so if you get into, let's say, a a foundation's grant cycle, there might be like a get-to-know-you grant and then followed by many consecutive years of support for programs that they believe in. But we find here, or at least I find in in Silicon Valley, at least with, with individuals, they can treat their philanthropy more like their angel investing. And so what I mean by that is, like angel investors like to be you know, some of the first money in, and they like to really only invest that one one time, and they sort of expect that like once the organization reaches a certain milestone, that they'll find other sources of capital. And so I feel like the same can be true uh, when they interact with nonprofits. That contrary to how maybe many other people do their um, individual philanthropy, well they'll to donate to the same organizations every year. We see a lot of individuals who, who will get excited about an organization, donate once, and hope that that money gets them to the next milestone. And the next year, when it comes to writing a check, they're less interested in supporting the same organization again, but finding another organization that's at that same stage that they feel like their investment can make a big impact and getting them to the next level where they can then get funding from, from, a, from a different kind of donor.
0: And have you found it uh, pretty, pretty straightforward raising, raising money?
1: Actually, I think got on quite a, a, an adventure. Like it's, it's really been interesting. You know, we designed the program around the needs of the tech nonprofits, but it turns out that we're solving needs um, for some funders as well. So we have uh, had success raising philanthropy from foundations because it turns out as mentioned they're looking for scalable solutions to some of the problems they've been funding for a while and that tech can play a role in that and we can help them navigate what otherwise might be a crowded or confusing field of uh, organizations to find the ones that we think are best poised to be successful the same can be true for uh, individuals who are really looking for ways to be effective in their philanthropy but like who has time to evaluate i mean there are Literally hundreds of thousands of organizations in the Bay Area alone that are nonprofits, and so by having us help individuals think through the intersection of like their interests and where we think organizations are being effective, we can really help people answer this question of like where do I get started. And then on, on the company side, you know, it turns out that employees of companies employees of companies are looking for meaning, and so as I mentioned, we get this question of like where do I start. And in fact, it led us to start a program called Philanthropy for Techies. And that program works to build connections between the employees at tech companies and these tech-based tech profits. It's like our crash course on where to begin. And so we can talk about how employees can leverage their expertise as well as money for the causes they care about. And we talk about the different ways to volunteer, what it means to join a nonprofit board, and why people create donor-advised funds. So this Philanthropy for Techies program is like our intercourse for people looking to give back.
0: Brilliant. Yes, I, I. It's. I would like to talk in a moment about the how people, you know, the process people go through and so forth. I, I'm just mindful of the what you're saying about the interest and the commitment of technology employees and and entrepreneurs to to give something back, and this idea that you're. Uh, supporting and helping the idea of you know technology nonprofits, I did an interview with Doug Rushkoff. Um, I don't know whether you've read his book, "Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus." <laughs> <And> <laughs> it's quite an interesting take on on many aspects of, uh, I guess, of, of Silicon Valley and uh, so forth. But one of the issues he certainly talks about is this idea of you know who benefits from these platform economies or platform networks that are built up of essentially of the goodwill or the interactions of millions, tens of millions of people and how that's monetized at the end of the day. You know, there are, it seems, for every one of these high growth platforms, there are cooperative versions as well where the actual participants in on the platform themselves, you know, get some of the equity in that sense because they are creating the value as well. So it's quite interesting that seems to be that there are models at the heart of this that do concentrate the economic, the financial returns in technology generally.
1: I think that's right. I mean, it, it's, it's what we discussed earlier around how I feel like every organization has impact, uh, in many cases, I think beyond like the direct uh, business model. And so that's why I think the world will benefit when everyone, when all organizations view themselves. Uh, in terms of like the broader ecosystem impact that they're having. And when we do see these, these tech platforms growing to tremendous scale. If they do that by automation and increased productivity, I think it creates a lot of value to people who use the platform, but obviously can result in job loss. And if so much of what social entrepreneurs are focused on is creating jobs, then I think it's just important to be mindful of, of those competing interests.
0: Absolutely. Now, at the beginning, we talked about this, the non-profit technology overlap. I mean, certainly there just seems to be not an area I'm very familiar with, but on the internet, you find a lot of programs and a lot of focus on, you know, technology for good, ways of focusing, you know, large corporations are doing this, large technology corporations, conferences are doing this, you know, various fora, and there seems to be a lot of activity. I probably should have discussed this a little bit earlier when we were talking about this, but is that... What's your perspective on that? Because as you were saying that the we're talking about this smaller segment of the, which is the non-profit segment, I guess I never made that distinction. You just see these programs, and it seems to be a lot going on, a lot of talk. If you put in technology for good, you will find a lot out there.
1: I mean, in most cases, tech for good sector is the is is associated with the for-profit yes um, world, and so I think you know one of the things that we've seen is the cost of providing technology has declined and it's moved towards uh, online or SaaS or other ways of delivering the products that the companies are able to donate or give away for free or discount their products to nonprofits, which is incredibly valuable. So an organization, even like traditional direct service nonprofits can become incredibly more efficient and productive um, if they leverage tools, whether that's Google or Dropbox or Salesforce or any of the other web services that that people use at at companies should also be leveraged by nonprofits. And I think you know that's in some ways I feel like that's a little bit more um, like back office or support uh, efficiency. It's not necessarily changing yes, yes. the delivery model of the healthcare or the education, yes. and that's uh, where we where we focus.
0: Yes, absolutely. Can you talk about the process applicants go through to get your support, how long it takes and things like that?
1: Yeah, we have open application process every spring. So usually the applications open, say early February and are due in late March. And the application asks about the team, why they're focused on the problem they're solving and about their solution. So we spend April reviewing the applications and notify the organizations in early May. So the entire process takes about a month. Uh, we try to move—we move pretty fast. The program runs during the summer, from July to September. Right. right. And how do they find out? Well, you know, now we are one of the only players in this this space. So we hope over time that yeah. anyone who's starting this challenging intersection of tech and nonprofit knows that fast forward is a resource for them. If they sign up for the director on our website and leverage our job board, join the community, consider attending the conference and applying to the accelerator. You know, it's a mix we get some inbound applications and we also do a ton of work, just like any early stage investor, we're constantly out scouring the world for entrepreneurs with interesting ideas that meet our criteria. And so we do that through spreading the word and talking to as many different funders um, people that run similar uh, programs or programs that lead them to talk to similar people universities try to reach out in many different ways as we can
0: brilliant and and you say global what is the international breakdown is it uh, of of, of the people that you've that that apply
1: it's a good question you know we have been growing know, the first year 80 percent of the groups were from the bay area in california And last year, 80% of the groups were from outside California. We haven't yet had an organization that's participated from outside the US for the full, full summer, but uh, maybe this year will be the first.
0: Excellent, excellent. And what excites you in terms of technology? technology for good we could say but no technology the 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 potential of technology to deal with social problems you talked about the difference between um delivery model and 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 those technologies that help social organizations do things better and certainly there seems to be a lot of potential there a lot of time gets you know taken up i know you know providing information to grant providers various kinds of administrative things that can be quite tedious and so forth but are, are there one or two technologies or technology applications that you find exciting?
1: Uh, I think it's exciting. We're actually seeing tech nonprofits across almost every issue area in philanthropy, like education and global health, poverty and civil rights and the environment. I think um, one area that's particularly exciting is the growth we've seen in civic tech this year as people are looking to technology as a tool to fix what they see is broken in our democracy. So, for example, we—I recently spoke with an organization called Hey Mayor, that's like this artificially intelligent assistant for local governments. It's sort of like a chatbot that helps citizens with everything from recycling to voting. But yeah, I mean, we see innovation across all the sectors. We've had an organization, Watt Time, that wrote this clever piece of software that makes enable smart devices to prioritize energy from clean power sources like windmills. Um, so actually, it turns out there's a lot of areas in the U.S. and the world where an electric car ends up creating more greenhouse gases than a, than a gas car because the, the power that it pulls from the grid comes from coal plants. And so what their software does is analyzes the power grid to determine when there's excess capacity from clean power sources. So, uh, And it pulls the power from the grid at that time. So it's just like really elegant solution to a complex problem. And they're partnering with all kinds of manufacturers and and smart devices. This past year, we had this organization, CommonLit, which provides uh, teachers with high-quality digital literacy tools. The founder was a Teach for America teacher, and she struggled to find resources for her students to read, and so she created the tool she wished she had. It turns out her problem wasn't unique because since she's launched her tools last year, she's been signing up about 50,000 users a week, which makes her on track to reach a million more quickly than Facebook did. Oh,
0: so it's wow. things like
1: that that are really, really exciting.
0: Yes, yes. I spoke to Christy George from New Media Ventures, and they're uh, qu- quite pioneering, I think, in uh, supporting media and tech startups to disrupt politics and catalyze progressive change. So it's some- somewhat related, but she's saying how just massive in- increase in the number of inquiries and people looking at you know ways of building Progressive media organizations to deal with some of these questions. I finally, Kevin, this has uh, been fascinating to get your perspective on all these questions. What's your vision for fast forward over the next few years?
1: Virgo, uh, uh, good question. Well, when I started my previous company in 2005, there were no accelerators, there was no angelist, there were so many fewer resources available to entrepreneurs and fast forward a dozen years and now there are thousands of these accelerator programs many different angel networks and <laughs> there's even a TV show about startups in Silicon Valley so our vision is that in the future we're going to we would see the same growth and support of our sector that there will be new foundations more accelerator programs growth prizes leadership programs and who knows maybe even a TV show devoted to this new market for technology. Uh, We've seen how tech has changed, how we find jobs, we hail a ride, discover love, and now how we solve social problems. So Fast Forward's vision is that technology will have a huge impact on the sector, as well as because these organizations are using technology to scale.
0: Brilliant, that's a great vision, Kevin. I wish you the very best of success with it. And thank you so much for taking the time today to share your insights, the lessons of your hard work. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.